Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory, founder of TeamsRock.com. Join us as Greg interviews thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from professional sports to manufacturing to business and industry. Now, let's join Greg for another powerful episode of the Teamwork Advantage. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage. Hi, I'm Greg Gregory, founder and creator of the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast that's dedicated to teamwork, leadership, and culture. It's the intersection of those three items that really provide successful teams, successful teams in business, in sports, in your homeowners associations, in your personal lives. It comes across all the way. And we're always looking for people that have new ideas, innovative ideas and things that they put into practice themselves and have used that can help you become successful. Today is no different. We've been downloaded now, by the way, in over uh, 79 countries around the world. We're gaining strength. And we, if you like us, hit that like button down below, subscribe to our channel, and be sure to share the information with everybody you know. Today is no exception to our rules and bringing somebody in. Joining us from the Mississippi part of the United States today is Joey Havens. Now, Joey is a CPA. Don't let that turn you off because <laughs> he's not just your brainy CPA. So let's get ready to have a little fun with this. He's also the author of Leading with Significance, How to Create a Magnetic People-First Culture and they partner at Horn. We'll talk about that. And this is where he passionately lives out his life's calling to help others see and reach their full potential. This is so strong in today's world. We're lacking our own potential. We, do, we can't get out of our own way in so many cases. Joey challenges leaders to build bold transparency, calling on leaders to show their heart. Once again, show your heart is so powerful. While working to connect everyone to the why or the purpose of the organization. And remember, organization can be your uh, homeowners group, it could be wherever your organization is, these all will apply to that. So from Mississippi, please welcome Joey Havens. Hi, Joey. How are you today? Hey, Greg. I'm doing great. And thank you so much uh, for this opportunity. We're excited to have you join us here. Um, when we start to look at things a little bit, we, we see where people are and what you're doing. And I love the title of your book coming out because uh, it just came out, I believe, right? Well, actually, it's uh, in on Amazon and pre-order. It, it will be released June the 6th. June the 6th. Okay. So everybody get ready, get your pre-order on that. But it's how to create magnetic people-first culture. So before we get all the way into all of that, Let's talk a little bit about how you got there. You didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to write this book and write the book. <laughs> so how'd you get there? Well, you know, um, I, don't, I don't really know where to start except to say I was, I was raised in North Mississippi by fine Christian parents that uh, taught me what faith means and uh, what it means to love and care for others. So I you know, I got roots that uh, are deep uh, in my faith. And uh, so I grew up in North Mississippi, went to Ole Miss, uh, fell into accounting kind of by accident. Uh, I talk about in the book coincidences all through our journey and growing our culture. And so 
it's been that way for me too. It's uh, kind of God has just uh, led me in in different ways, uh, despite uh, the mistakes that I've made along the way. And uh, so I graduated from Ole Miss, <clears throat> had an opportunity to go to work for one of the largest accounting firms in the world, Arthur Anderson, moved to Houston, Texas. Uh, decided I wanted, I liked life in Mississippi a little better, moved back and went to work for a very small firm. And then 39 years ago, this is my 39th year with Horn, uh, we had a common client and I met Horn and joined them in 1984. And so I'm completing my 39th year of service. It's just been an, an amazing, amazing journey and one that I've been blessed uh, over and over again. Uh, but, uh, you know, no, be honest with you, I had no golden plan. And when it came down to 2011, I was leading the largest uh, focus area in our firm, and we were looking for our next managing partner. And I was one of those in the running for that and was elected in 2011 as the next managing partner of Horn. At that time, we're top 100 firm, and today we're in the top 25. Uh, so we've just had exponential growth this last decade, and it, it all started and began when we really got focused on people and making our culture and people our primary focus. And your question was, how did you end up writing the book like that? Well, I'm, I retire in January of 24. So I'm in my last few months with Horn, and uh, I had always thought, based on what I learned the last decade, that I might take, I've had a weekly blog for 10 years, so uh, my blog is out there every week, but as I was putting that together and thinking about what I could share to inspire others, um, I thought I might write a book after I retired. <laughs> God wouldn't let me go to sleep. Uh, I mean, it was like every time I tried to, to get on to something else, it was back to, Joy, I need you to write this book. So much so that a friend that knew nothing about it, Greg, sends me a pen in the mail, a, a woodcrafted, very nice hand-made uh, pen, and said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but God told me to send this to you. So... Two years ago, I got busy writing that book. And it takes a while to write a book. So it does. So let's talk for a little bit here. Moving up and building the firm up to a top 25, the phrase people first culture is not something that many people might associate with a CPA firm. How did you get there? Well, um, in 2011, when we stepped back and look, it takes a leadership team. This is not anything that Joey Havens has ever accomplished. It takes a leadership team mm -hmm. to grow uh, a culture and to truly be uh, focused on people. But as we, as we stood there and looked at our firm, I mean, we had all the street credibility. Uh, everybody would tell you, Horn's a great place to work. Uh, Horn's a great firm. Uh, we have a good culture. Uh, but as we stepped back and we had the courage 
And it takes courage. It's one of the things I, I tell people, be bold, have courage. Uh, you know, we realized our good culture wasn't good enough, uh, that it wasn't consistent. Uh, we had been client service. If you walk down the halls, you'd hear client service, client service, client service. Yet we kept having client service failures. Our growth rate was kind of like what the profession was. It was pretty organic growth was three or four percent, not anything to write home about. We had we had raving cheerleaders, but it wasn't 80 percent of our client base. Uh, and so the client service mantra wasn't getting it. And we had people that were not experiencing what I felt like was um, a culture that focused on also allowing them to, to accomplish their dreams. So uh, okay, we peeled that back. We went to work. We went to work on our culture. That's powerful. So let's talk a little bit of how you got there. One of the questions is uh, you use a term called be better mindset. So what, what, what does that really mean? You know, and how, how did you, I'm assuming that's part of the process to get to the culture, but tell us what that means and how that developed. Well, uh, Be Better, again, kind of developed after we laid out our vision for our culture, which we, we named our culture the Wise Firm. And if, if you want to talk about that, we can get into that in a minute while we named it that. But mm -hmm. as, we, as we laid that vision out to the entire firm, we talked about it in terms of moving from good to great. We didn't, we didn't really understand magnetic at the time. So we called it good to great. And in that presentation to the entire firm, we talked about what is your role, Greg, as a member of the firm? What is your role in this transition? Uh, so we're making a promise. We're making a commitment to everybody that people and culture will be number one at Horn. That will be our top strategic focus. Even if it means we get smaller first, we are going to make culture number one. So what is your role? Your role is to help us be better every day. And that term, when we used it in that presentation, be better, we realized that's the mindset that we really needed. And so that language, that word became our rally cry, so much so that we made stickers up, had a logo, and people could give you a sticker because you were helping us grow our culture. You were helping us improve, be creative, innovative, helping somebody else have a strong sense of belonging. So be better became our rally cry. And it is a mindset that you must have because every day you get up, you have the advantage of your culture being stronger maybe than your competitors, but you got to go to work. You got to be better. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where a be better mindset comes from. Okay. And what you just said there kind of reminds me of getting to the top is easy. Staying at the top is difficult. So, and you do that with that be better mindset. Well, you know, we even talk about be even better. Like if you mm -hmm. feel like you've arrived, I don't believe you ever arrived. Uh, oh, no. I, I believe that you, you've got to get up and try to be better every day. I think that if you're a, a true, authentic leader, you never stop learning and growing. Hmm? Oh, absolutely. Never. One never. of my mentors uh, 30 some years ago said, if you're not growing, you're dying. So so you, you said you, you, you named the, the culture the wise firm. So talk to us about that. Well, as... We were going through the process of selecting our next managing partner. One of the 
things that the final two people would have to do is lay out a vision to the partner group, the ownership group. Uh, what do you see for the future of Horn? And mine was we'll make culture number one. And uh, in my prayers around that, uh, in my Bible study, uh, I got really focused on the wise man and the foolish man, the biblical parable where the wise man built his house on the rock, the foolish man built his house on the sand, the storms came, the rains pelted down, the wind blew, and the water washed the foolish man's house away. And so I said, we want to build a wise firm built on we and service. We want to be focused on we, and we want to serve others. We want to serve each other. And that's going to be our foundation. And we actually had building blocks that, uh, you know, we compared a foolish firm, which was always looking in the rear view mirror, always talking about transactions to a, a, a wise firm, which had the building blocks of looking in the windshield view, forward thinking, empowered people, positive energy, and this laid out in front of the partners and they embraced it that day. They said, that's who we want to be. Okay. And that, that, that starts to drive everything else. And you mentioned earlier, you didn't know what a magnetic culture meant at that time. How did you get to understanding that? And let's define what a magnetic culture is for you at, at Horn. The reason a magnetic culture is so hard is because leadership has to be so vulnerable and extend trust over and over again. I'm and smiling right now for those who are not watching this or just listening. I'm starting to grin because he used two of my favorite words right there, vulnerable and trust, uh, right in one sentence. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the only way you can get to magnetic because leaders have to extend that trust first. You have to believe in the inherent good in people and you have to back that up by in being very intentional uh very intentional to show that you uh care that you're connecting and that you're serving uh people and so magnetic comes when the people say and begin to trust the leadership trust the organization they get that strong sense of belonging and now they are finding that purpose they're connecting their personal purpose to the overall purpose or mission of the organization they are now feeling like they're part of the community. They are now showing up as who they are and bringing their best strengths. And the magnetic energy occurs when they start helping each other have a strong sense of belonging. And that leads to discretionary effort. Uh, it doesn't mean they work more hours. They might in, in, in certain situations, they might decide to do that. But when you show up as your full self, you, you have a choice every day at how much energy and focus you put into your day. And when you are tied to that purpose, when you, you have that sense of belonging, when you're building something bigger than yourself, yeah. you get discretionary effort. And when you get that across your organization, you have a magnetic energy that gets amazing results. It attracts talent. It retains talent. It tells the story itself. It's almost as if it starts to pull and the magnetic centrifugal force starts to drive all that and pull it together and elevate the whole team. Yes, you know, it, um, it actually gets so powerful. It, 
it runs past leadership. And in fact, leadership can then on the backside become an anchor because uh, it's very easy to get to think that you created the magic and you go back to wanting to be controlling. And so I talk about that in the book, on the back side of the book, you know, one, you, you go from good culture being the biggest enemy of magnetic culture to success being the greatest enemy of, of, of magnetic culture because leadership begins to think they created the magic, the magic's in the people. The magic is, and, and it's, uh, Greg, this is something I run across all the time. People think, oh, you talk about this, you talk about a people first culture, you want this dream workplace. Actually, that's not what you're creating at all. You're not creating a dream workplace. You're creating a workplace where people can fulfill their dreams. That's very different. It's very different. Very different. It's very different. And that, that's, that's great to start to recognize because when we think about ourselves inward focused, it's self-fulfilling. And if we're thinking about it the, the first way you're talking about there, it's more self-fulfilling. But if I'm thinking about the people and getting them to fulfill their dreams, then they're going to be more inherently involved and wanting to be in, engaged. Is that, is that a fair analogy? Yes. I, I mean, I boil it down in, in my final thoughts. Um, there's two choices in life. Uh, we can chase success, which is all about me. It's about more, 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 more power, more money, more titles, um, more control. And it's a race that you never win. There's no real, there may be some pleasure there, but there's no real true uh, joy and happiness that, that's long lasting. Or we can choose a life of significance, which is why it's so critical to lead with significance, where we choose to focus on something outside ourselves to help others, elevate others, have a positive impact on others. And that is a life of significance, which has lots of happiness, lots of joy. And by the way, success always follows significance. Significance does not follow success. If you're out there looking to lead with significance, success will follow. I'll make sure I'm paraphrasing correctly. But if you're out there leading with success, significance will not follow. That's correct. You're, if you're put, worried about putting stars on your chest, you're going to be at the end of the road and you're going to be very lonely. Mm-hmm. Okay. You use the term sponsors uh, a little bit. And sponsors and coaches... I need a little clarity on this of what this is and how do they help in creating that magnetic culture or magnetic pull? Okay, so they are two separate things. Um, so I'll take sponsors first. Okay. And so I would start with a question, Greg, to be where you are today. Have you ever had anybody sponsor you or advocate for you? Okay. Well, I would assume it absolutely because nobody gets and achieves anything just on their own. We all have sponsors. Some of them are informal. Some mm -hmm. of them are formal. But we all have sponsors and advocates, people that put political 
capital into the game for us. Said, hey, give Joey a chance to do this. Give mm -hmm. give uh, Margie a, a chance to do that. So mm -hmm. we all have sponsors, but in organizations, the access to those sponsors is not always equitable. In other words, somebody that may not look like me or feel comfortable approaching me or me approaching them, we may not have the same sponsorship I have with somebody else. Uh, and, and that happens for lots of different reasons, not just uh, race and, and sex and those kind of things, gender. Uh, so being very intentional to match people up, to make sure people connect to leadership and that they have access and that they have a sponsor and an advocate is very critical to growing a magnetic people first culture. People have to have that sponsorship. They have to have that advocacy and everybody has it. Even the leaders that are leading the organization, you have had sponsors, whether you knew it or not. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we were talking before we uh, started recording on the podcast um, about, I had met the great Zig Ziglar several times and at a conference when I, I felt like he was an advocate of mine when he says at a conference, he hollers across the floor, says, Greg, come here a minute. And so he went to introduce me to somebody. So, you know, sometimes those advocates are quick hits, but sometimes they're long, 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 long lifetime um, advocates. So I, I love your illustration because that's exactly what sponsorship and Zig Ziglar was putting political capital in the game for Greg at that moment. That introduction could have changed your pathway from then on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And That's sponsorship. And then leading by example, both he did that with me there and a number of times over the years. And then the great Dr. Stephen Covey did the same thing uh, when he came by and saw me because I couldn't get to his table one day at a, at a conference. We were doing competing seminars. He had way more than I did. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he came by. That's said, tough competition. That's, that was. And he came by my table and said hello to me and put political capital in the game. Not that he was advocating for me, but he was demonstrating it very well. Absolutely. So that's what sponsorship and advocacy is. And then the coaches, this is, um, this is something where we were anticipating um, a much faster learning curve based on technology and everything that was going on. Uh, we knew people wanted to fast track their careers faster. You know, busy professionals are not the best performance advisors. They're not the best mentors. So we started looking outside our organization. You know, who is doing really great with people and getting people where they need to be faster. And we found this engineering firm that had actually brought in coaches, certified coaches, performing, we call them full potential coaches at Horn. And so we modeled that, we copied that, and we started bringing in uh, certified, what we call full potential coaches. And it's a confidential relationship. It started out for our first, second, and third year people, it was kind of mandatory. And then we moved to, you know, voluntary. But the, the whole point was, here is a resource for you. It is your resource. This is confidential. It's outside the performance um, advisor, mentor relationship. This is about somebody who's going to help you interpret feedback 
They're going to help you understand yourself better, increase your self-awareness, help you plan, you know, what are your questions? What do you need to ask to have more clarity about, you know, what you want to achieve, mm -hmm. uh, how you get your next promotion? Uh, how do you handle this difficult conversation with this person you're working with that you do not like? Uh, how can you both get on the same page and, right. and uh, achieve great things? So that's what the full potential coaches were. And it was a game changer for our firm because it increased the retention. Um, you know, and we made sure that uh, some of our underrepresented groups had that extra resource. Uh, right. We didn't we didn't create a silo and have a special program, but we were intentional in the background to make sure the people that really needed that were able to access that so that they could achieve their dreams so that okay. they could have that strong sense of belonging. So a couple of questions here on that. And this is fascinating that you did this. First is there's a big challenge in a lot of organizations where the company is going to provide something for them from an outside resource. How were you able to demonstrate and get the your team members to understand what they say to that coach is confidential and you don't get that information back because that's sometimes there's a trust factor there obviously what did you do to try and illustrate that and i assume you worked that out with the coaches oh yes uh the coaches understood um you know and we used a combination of full-time internal coaches that we hired and brought to horn Mm -hmm. We have a number of those today, but we also use external coaches that we put on a contract. But one, they all know this is just like a normal coaching relationship. This is all totally confidential. You you report nothing. It's coach uh, employee uh, confidentiality. It, it's confidentiality all the way. And and we we rolled the program out like that. We reported on it. And look, once it starts and people get results, we we would get them to uh, share that with others and celebrate that. And so then people got comfort. Well, Jesse over here has, you know, he's bragging on his coach. He's not worried. You know, the trust factor grows. So when we're thinking about this, there was an obvious expense in doing this, whether you're bringing on somebody internally to be here full time or you're contracting externally. How did you, being a CPA firm, <laughs> where you look at the bottom line, <laughs> how there, there's a cost factor. Some people say, I can't afford the expense. Of course, I'm always talking about something like that's not an expense, it's an investment. That's from my side. How did you convince and get your partners all to understand the power of spending this money as an investment and not looking at it as an expense? You know, you're going to have me on for the next three podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would be a long quest to answer. <laughs> it, it's a conversation at a time. Um, it's a, a process that, you know, we brought the coaches. We already had momentum uh, from doing some of the things we we're doing. People first. We had growth. Um, you know, I cited over and over from Tom Peters in the excellence dividend, better before cheaper, 
revenues before expenses, there are no other rules. Those are the three rules that uh, come out of one of his uh, studies that uh, he shares in the Excellence Dividend. And that is the part where I said it takes courage. There, there's not a direct line. And when you're dealing with CPAs and accountants, of course, they want to always draw a direct line. And it takes faith and it takes courage. And uh, it takes a lot of education around, look, if our people are progressing faster and achieving more, if our retention gets better. And so some of the things I, do, I did use some tools like our turnover right now is costing us $3 million a year. And that's in direct cost. That's in our horn cost. That does not count uh, when it costs us a service failure with a client because we lose a key team member and we can't deliver uh, and we lose the client. So it's $3 million a year. If we, if we increase our retention and we attract more talent, which this program will help us do, we'll reduce that $3 million a year cost. And we did. Our, our retention, we, we were above 20% at one time, which was at the industry average because people use the public accounting as kind of get us three or four years and then go into uh, private industry. And so we got that down all the way to 13 and 14% and held it there, which included some healthy turnover. You're going to have turnover you need. Mm -hmm. uh, but we we just reduced the amount of unnecessary turnover so much that that alone saved us, uh, you know, millions of dollars. Okay. And that's, that's the tough part. A lot of organizations, when they look at training or they look at uh, coaches and things of that nature, they're looking at the expense side. We can't afford that. And when you look at the benefit and the ROI, they really can't afford not to do that. Yeah, but it's just not a direct line. It is yeah. a it, it, it takes it's, faith. It's, around, it's a roundabout way. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not direct. Some of the other benefits, you know, you got the retention, right? There's no doubt about that with hiring the coaches and building the people first culture. What are some of the other benefits you've experienced and noticed at Horn? Uh, I think the... Uh, the, one of the things that brings me so much joy, because see now again, you shared this early in the introduction, my purpose is to help others see and realize their full potential. So what has happened over and over again is seeing people really understand what their full potential is. Seeing uh, a 28-year-old take over a multi-million dollar project and just shine uh, with leadership and results. And mm -hmm. so those are the kind of things you start to see over and over. You actually see, um, you know, because again, I like talking about it because people say, oh, he's talking about a culture that's soft. They don't have accountability. Um, I will tell you 10 years later, it was harder to become an owner at Horn because the bar had been raised. Every accountability throughout the organization, because what happens is, when you've got people that are bought in and they're bringing their best self, mediocrity uh, uh, sits out like a sore thumb. I mean, you can see it immediately mm -hmm. and other people start to call it out. And so 
actually, as your culture grows stronger, accountability, people want to be accountable. They, I don't know why people get this notion that uh, their team wants to come to work and fail. But you know, it's almost like that's the way we run our organizations. Our team members want to show up and be highly successful. They want to be winners. They want to, they want to achieve and they want to grow and be challenged. And that's part of the part of the purpose they're looking for. And so I really see that's one of the things that's uh, kind of magnetic is that accountability really grows in a in a magnetic culture. That's really a good thing to understand because accountability is such a pivotal point for building the right team and getting it in place. So let's go down a path here. <laughs> how many employees, when you took over at Horn, how many employees were there about? Uh, it Close to 400, maybe 380. Okay. And then how many do you have today? We have... My guess is going to be 2,300 plus some contract employees. Okay. So in the beginning, when you started bringing this magnetic uh, feeling, the people first culture, did you have some people that said, this is a bunch of foo-foo. This doesn't work. Uh, I come into work to work. I don't need to be friends with people. I don't need to. No, no. You know, they were, I call them negative Nellies. Um, did you have any of that? And then if you did, how did you overcome some of that? Uh, yes, you know, you, you have that, uh, Greg, you have that in every organization. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, obviously it's one of the biggest barriers uh, starting out. So probably the best way to share that, and it's one of the reasons we gained so much momentum uh, when I took over in 2012, and we had a, a great leadership team that was bought in, our board was completely bought in. Uh, in the next 24 months, we had been growing organically about like the industry, three or four percent. Right. Um, our firm grew the first 24 months uh, by 20 percent, which uh, was an average, we were trying to get double digit growth every year. That's what we were, we thought was possible. So we achieved that over 24 months on the average, we, we were 20% up 20%. Our ownership group actually reduced by 25%. Now, uh, there was one retirement, there was uh, two people that they were so negative that we had to have conversations about there was probably a better win-win for them somewhere else. And we, mm -hmm. we helped them with that. And then there were four or five that made that decision on their own said, Hey, this is not how I want to operate. I want to be somewhere else. So if you look back and that's again, God blessing us, we grew the firm 20%. We have 25% less owners. How do you think the 80 per 75% of the owners that were left, how they felt? Okay. They felt great. We we just had more growth in two years. We got less owners. We have more capital to invest. We're a, you know, that's when we really started to get the wind under our sails and, and started getting even more aggressive to understand the power okay. of having a people first culture. Right. So we've talked about the power for horn. We've talked about what it's done for the organization as well as your customers. 
what's the true benefit? What are some of the benefits that your people have experienced? Now, granted, one of the ones I think you've talked about already is they've started to realize their own potential. So I get that one. Beyond that, what are some of the benefits that they've actually, you've seen and people have said to you that they've experienced because of this culture? Well, I mean, it brings all the normal things that you associate with success. I mean, uh, people are achieving more, they're making more, they're being promoted faster, uh, they're achieving their dreams. I'm going to go back to that. They are working in a, in a place where they are able to achieve their dreams. Uh, they have, because of what we've done in flexibility, they have more autonomy and they have more input into when, where, and how they work. And so they feel more empowered to integrate their career, their professional career, and their personal life whether that's not being here at 10 a.m. so they can be at the kindergarten graduation or being out tomorrow because they're doing elder care. I mean, it's that full span of being able to do those things. Or working remotely, uh, you know, most uh, just being a remote worker and rarely uh, being connected face-to-face with the rest of the Horn team. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think we've got team members in like 48 states in Puerto Rico. In fact, um, have 150 something team members in Puerto Rico. So it's that uh, ability to manage your life better. Um, The psychological safety of being in an organization where you have a strong sense of belonging, you, you like that. I mean, in fact, the surveys show people will give up 20 to 25% of their earnings to be in an organization that they feel like they're achieving something uh, beyond, you know, that they're they're building something to, to purpose and they feel like they're part of the community. They have a strong sense of belonging. You know, that, that takes us right into Maslow's theory there and having that sense of belonging with something, feeling like they're part of something bigger. So that's that's so strong. You know, we could keep going on this for a long time, but I want to close out kind of with, with a question here. Imagine you're talking to a leader of not necessarily a large organization, but maybe of a department or a directorship or even of a team with only eight or 10 people. What are the first few things these leaders should do? You can give me two or three ideas of something they can take away today and actually use to help build a more people-first culture, something that's much more magnetic, something that is making their teams focus and build on purpose? Um, I think the two or three things that I would focus on, if I, if I had a, a team of 10 people, even if I'm reporting, I'm just in a, part, the, a department and I'm reporting up to a, a bigger organization, um, I, would, I would talk about what is my compelling vision for our team? What, how do I want our team to work? Um, I actually worked with a leadership team of a, a, a mid-sized company last week in Tennessee that it was about the leadership team itself and how they wanted to work. So our strategic plan was around who are they going to be and how are they going to interact with each other? Okay. So what is that compelling vision? 
seeking the feedback from the team on what's working and what's not working. What can can I be better at? What what do you need from me? How can I be the leader that you always wanted? Um, and I think a third step is because appreciation and respect and recognition is so important. A third step to really get started fast is asking your team what they want to be recognized for. And it's going to be individual, by the way. Um, the fourth, because you can go on and on, but flexibility, how do we, as part of our vision, how do we build flexibility into our team? How do we cover for each other what is the commitment, trust, and communication, those three pillars? How are we going to build flexibility so that you can have more input and autonomy into when, where, and how you work? Quickly, what percentage of your workforce is working remotely today versus coming into an office? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, and the reason is because, um, you know, I'm not managing the firm, so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm not privy to that every day, but we have so many hybrid uh, okay. team members. So they come in two days a week and they're remote three days, mm -hmm. but we probably have at least uh, 250 to 500, somewhere in there, remote team members. Uh, that are remote all the time. All the time. Okay. And the hybrid things there. It's just kind of curious because a lot of organizations are struggling with that now. So I want to get an idea of where you might be on that. Okay, here's where I am. I think the organizations that tell their team members, you are going to come back to this office and you're going to be here eight to five are very short-sighted. And I would caution you that be careful who comes back and who doesn't. And understand that even if some of your stars come back, you have just probably put their resume out on the internet. Um, flexibility and, and the ability for team members to have more purpose in their lives because they have some autonomy is not going away. And let's just say, we, you know, part of the reason you're hearing this is we're, you know, the, the job market's getting a little closer together where there's not as much leverage on the people side. Uh, we may be going into a recession. And so uh, companies are feeling like they got a little more control and say so. But uh, actually, that is a very short-term strategy. And building a magnetic people-first culture is a long-term strategy. So I stand on, mm -hmm. we are going to continue to work on understanding it is unique to the individual, it is unique to the team, and it's unique to the role that they signed up for, but how do we give them more autonomy to manage their life? And we're going to close with that. That's just, Joey, the, the information you shared with us today on the benefits of a people-first culture are phenomenal. So real quickly, again, on your book, um, you want, to grab, you want to tell us again the book and uh, they can find it. It's available on pre-order right now, right? Yes, you can pre-order it on Amazon. It'll, it'll also be on Kindle. There will be audio version. Those pages ought to be out anytime now. 
Mm-hmm. The book will be released uh, June the 6th. It'll be in a number of the retail outlets. You may see it in the airport. I know some airport uh, booksellers have picked up some of that. Uh, okay. So it's going to be out there in a number of uh, venues. But certainly, if you get a chance to go on and pre-order it on Amazon, do that. We've already been named number one new release on Amazon with our pre-launch in May. Um in a number of categories. Uh, so we're very excited about that. And you can go to joeyhavens.com and uh, find out more about me, sign up for my weekly blog. I uh, would love to, to have you on that. So it's Joey Havens, that's H-A-V-E-N-S and Joey, J-O-E-Y. So joeyhavens.com. And All it's right. the Be, Be Better blog, by the way, Greg. That's the Be Better blog. <laughs> So everybody can be a little bit better every day. Joey, I want to thank you very much. Hopefully we can get you back in six or eight months talking about some other things, going into a little bit more depth on ideas. And uh, thank you once again for joining us on the Teamwork Advantage. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you again so much. All right. Folks, you know, once a week when you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, you get ideas that you can implement right away. And Joey shared some of those with us today. He's talking about a compelling vision, having feedback, asking the team how they want to be recognized. Those are just three very key points to this podcast. And so if you like those ideas, come back every week. Come back and listen to us. Go back into history on our episodes. We're uh, well over 100 episodes right now. And uh, you'll see a lot of themes running through the podcast that Joey shared with us today. So I invite you to listen in, join in, reach out to our guests, and uh, pick the brains just a little bit. You know, until next week, remember, I always say having a good day is just being average. It's kind of like getting a C on a term paper. Don't have a good day. Go out and make today excellent and exceptional. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit TeamsRock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.